Well, good morning. It's great to see you all this morning. If you're new here, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors, uh, along with Pastor Sue. Uh, and on behalf of both of us, we want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here. Um, if you are new here, this is the perfect Sunday for you to be showing up because we are starting a new series that, that we've been calling, or that we're going to be calling, False Gods. Um, Last week, I forgot to mention these, and I regret that greatly. Uh, we had all these invite cards printed off, and I think we handed them out in the morning, and then I just forgot to tell you what to do with them. Uh, but if you got one of these, if you didn't, they're in the back by the doors. Uh, we want to encourage you to invite someone or even just hang it on your fridge to remind you uh, what we're doing here at Christ Community Church. All right. Today, we're starting this new series, False Gods, um, in Exodus, after Israel escaped from Egypt, they went up, or they wandered in the wilderness, and one day Moses went up to the top of a mountain to uh, talk with God, and, and while he was up there, God gave him these things that, that we call the Ten Commandments, and the very first commandment, does anybody remember what it is? You shall have no other gods. Now, this commandment is pretty earth-shattering for that time. Uh, monotheism, the, the worship of, of one single God, didn't really exist. Most of the people at, at that time, including the Israelites, would worship multiple deities. The, the Israelites would, would worship Yahweh as one of their many gods. And, you know, they, they had gods for just about everything under the sun, including the sun. Uh, probably one of the best-known examples of this is Greek mythology, um, best known example of monotheism or polytheism. And the Greeks had many gods that they worshiped, and, and depending on what their desires were, they would go to different gods for different things. If they desired wisdom, they'd pray to Athena. If they desired beauty, they'd pray to Aphrodite. If, if they desired success in war, they'd pray to Ares. If they desired a, a bountiful harvest, they'd pray to Demeter. Their desires determined their worship. Today, less than 2% of Americans are polytheistic, but I would argue that 100% of us are actually polytheistic. We don't worship Aphrodite or Athena or Zeus or Poseidon, but, but we do worship the things that they represent. We worship power and success and, and beauty and wisdom and love. Today, our desires still determine our worship. And I want to say on the front end, these things that I just listed, they're, they're not bad things. I, I would argue that in the right context, they're all really good things. Money is good. Love is good. Success is good. Even power can be good. God created everything to be good. But what we do is we take these good things and we corrupt them. We, we use them in ways that they weren't intended. We, we allow them to control our lives. We elevate them to a pedestal that, that only God should be on. And I wanted to mention that because we're starting the series off with Aphrodite. We're starting it off with the false god of love. You know, with things like money and, and power, we can see how, how they can be harmful. We, we have the phrases, right? Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Or, or money is the root of all evil. But love? 
Surely love is a good thing, right? And, and, and it is when we have a healthy relationship with it. When we don't elevate it to God's status. So that's what we're talking about this morning. And we're going to be doing that by reading from Genesis chapter 29, starting at verse 14. If you don't know where Genesis is, it's the very first book in the Bible. If you just open your Bible to the, well, past the table of contents and everything, the very first page you'll be in Genesis. We'll be on chapter 29. Before we read it, let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, all God's people said, amen. So to to refresh your memories, to catch you up on on where we are, Jacob was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. Jacob was also a twin. He was, uh, his brother Esau was born right before he was, but, but not by much. The Bible says Jacob was, was clutching onto the heel of Esau at the moment of birth, which is interesting because it, it shows that even from within the womb, Jacob seems to be fighting for, for being the firstborn and, and the privileges that comes with that. And, and here's why that matters. Birth order in ancient times was incredibly important. In this situation, just a matter of seconds, determine who the head of the house would be once, um, once Isaac died. Uh, it also determined who would get the majority of the inheritance. Jacob wanted that birthright, but he was the second born, and Isaac always favored Esau. So one night, Jacob went to his father dressed as Esau in the dead of night where Isaac is basically can't see at all, and, and he tricked Isaac, or yeah, he tricked Isaac into giving him the blessing meant for Esau, and, and it worked. But, but Esau found out, and, and Jacob had to flee, and he ran away to stay with and, and work for his uncle named Laban. And that's where we pick up in verse 14, the second half of verse 14. After Jacob stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you be working for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Here, uh, weak eyes uh, is most likely with the contrast of the beautifulness. It isn't that she couldn't see. It was more so that she had some kind of deformity making her less attractive than Rachel was. Now Jacob was in love with Rachel, and he said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter, Leah, and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. 
when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also and return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and, and Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave, him, gave his servant Billa to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. We're going to pause there, but keep your thumb in that section because we will return to it later. All you need is love. Right? The, the Beatles ha- had their fingers on, on the pulse of a nation when they wrote and released that, that pretty annoying song. Right? The Beatles are great. I love the Beatles, but that is not their best work. But, but to quote them, there's nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be you in time. It's easy. All you need is love. Love is all you need. It's that simple. All, all you need is love, and then you will learn who you are. You, you will come to the full version of yourself. All you need is love. And I think that a lot of people really do believe that message. And, and maybe even a lot of us in here believe that message. And, and it would be understandable if you do, because our society feeds on that. It's in the songs we listen to. It's in the, the TV shows we watch, the, the musicals we see. It's, it's in the books that we read. If you turn on the Hallmark Channel at Christmas, you see this over and over again. It's, it's the stereotypical movie, right? They release 100 a year, and they follow the same plot line. You have that rude girl from New York who is supposed to, who's only focused on her career, and she's on a business trip and gets stranded in the middle of nowhere in the holidays. And so she starts calling every shop and, and tow truck that she can find, and, and she can't find anyone because they're all closed down for the holidays. And eventually this strapping young man comes along in his pickup truck, and, and he promises, that, promises her that he'll help fix her car, and he offers her a place to stay in the meantime. And during this, they get to know each other, and she finds out that he's a Christmas tree farmer. And, and he learns about his wife who passed away five years ago. And, and gets to know his, his two daughters, and, and her heart starts to soften because he brings out the best in her. And, and she hasn't felt this happy, and, and she doesn't know how long. And they fall in love, and they live happily ever after. And you guys have no idea if I'm telling a real Hallmark story or if I'm making all of this up. Because they all follow the same formula. And it's a good formula because it's, it's what we desire. A love that, that's easy and requires no effort. With a person who will never let you down and, and always brings out the best in you. Someone who will make you feel loved and desired and happy at all times. We create an idol. We create a false God out of this love. A a love that that no human being could possibly live up to. 
When you look up our passage today, it's almost like watching this, this really strange Hallmark movie of a love triangle between three cousins. But in the beginning, Jacob's life is in ruins. His brother wants to kill him. He, he lost his family and his inheritance. He, he would never see his mom or dad again. He was suffering and lonely. But then he met Rachel. And he falls for her instantly because of her lovely figure and, and beauty, which is what Genesis tells us. And so Jacob stayed with and, and worked for her dad, Laban, for, for a month. And, and eventually Laban said to Jacob, I can't continue to have you work for me for free. So what would you like? And he says, I want Rachel. And back then, it was okay to do this. That women were kind of viewed as property, which is not great. But he says, this is his response. Or actually, Laban is a smart guy, and he knows that the tradition won't let him marry off Rachel before he marries off her older sister, Leah. He also knew that Leah wasn't getting many suitors. And so his response is really calculated. He says, it's better that I give her to you than some other man. Do you notice what he doesn't say? He never says yes. But Jacob is so enamored with Rachel that he hears that absent yes. So he works for seven years, but they feel like a, a few days because he loves Rachel so much. And, and when the seven years are up, he goes to Laban and says, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. Which is a really bold thing to say to your future father-in-law. But Jacob is just so overwhelmed by this e emotional and sexual longing for Rachel. Tim Keller, who's a pastor and a theologian, has a theory for why he's so overwhelmed with this longing. Keller writes that, that Jacob's life was empty. He never had his father's love. He had lost his beloved mother's love. And he certainly had no sense of God's love and care. Then he beheld the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. And he must have said to himself, if I had her, finally, something would be right in my miserable life. If I had her, it would fix things. All the longings of his heart for meaning and affirmation were fixed on Rachel. Jacob had, had made Rachel into a god which Jacob was pretty ahead of his time in that case, because that's something that we do all the time. Recently, a pastor friend of mine was, was telling me a story about a, a pre-marriage counseling session that he did about seven years ago with a couple that we'll call Jessica and Thomas. And the pastor told me that, that he was really good friends with Thomas, and he knew Jessica pretty well. But in the midst of their sessions, it became clear that Jessica worshipped Thomas. You know, she could see no wrong in him. She thought that he was God's gift to humanity. And so one day he asked her to, to stay after a session and told her what he was observing and, and how that could be potentially unhealthy. He said that he knows Thomas, and he knows that Thomas is a great guy. But he also knows that Thomas isn't a perfect guy. And she needed to start to see that because eventually 
in, in either a big way or a small way, he will let her down because that's just how humans work. And the sooner she realizes that, the less devastating it will be for her and her marriage. In our passage, it says that uh, in our passage, Jacob or Laban throws a feast for the wedding. And we assume that Jacob gets very drunk at the feast and, and goes back to his home and, and Laban brings his daughter heavily veiled to him and they sleep together. And when the morning came, there was Leah. The Hebrew literally says, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Jacob wanted and needed Rachel so badly that he was blind to the schemes of Laban. Jacob didn't just view Rachel as, as a woman that he loved, but as his savior. And eventually, he was let down. In the morning, behold, it was Leah. Now, Jessica and Thomas, my reason, uh, the reason my friend was telling me about them was because they were separating after seven years of marriage. Splitting up over a situation that most couples make it through. But she had so many expectations on him that were unfair to both of them. And, and one day he stopped being able to meet those expectations. She went to bed with Rachel and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. But we see this all the time, right? People placing expectations on, on their spouses or, or their partners, placing pressure and hopes on, on their relationships that, that they simply can't fill. Now again, love is a good thing. And, and this isn't me telling you you shouldn't try in your marriage. But when we ask of love the things that only God can accomplish, then it becomes a problem. It becomes an idol. A false god. If we kept reading, we'd see how this caused misery in Jacob's family's lives. After marrying Leah, he is then able to marry Rachel as well, and he clearly favored Rachel his whole life, causing Leah to suffer throughout. When Leah and Rachel had kids, Jacob favored Rachel's kids, causing strife within the family. Jacob's idolatry of Rachel caused his whole family to suffer. But now I want to turn to Leah. I promise we'd be continue reading. So in your Bibles, uh, continuing Genesis 29, starting at verse 31, Leah has, has spent her whole life playing second fiddle to her more beautiful sister, Rachel. Leah had this big hole in her heart, just as big as Jacob's hole in his heart. And we see Leah doing the same thing to fill it as Jacob did. She's viewing Jacob as her own false god, defining her own worth and the love that he gives to her, which isn't a lot. Here you read at, at verse 31. When the Lord, Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again. When she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord 
heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So his name was Levi. She conceived again. When she gave birth to a son, she said, This time, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Leah was searching for Jacob's love. She she thought, if if I have babies and and sons, then my husband will finally come to love me and and finally fulfill my unhappy life, and and my my life will be fixed. And instead, she just became more and more lonely. Every day, she was condemned to see the man that she loved, the, the one that she longed for, fallen to the arms of her sister whose shadow she had lived in her whole life. And we find through Jacob and Leah that, that if we continue to put our hope in fallible things, even the love of someone else, we will always come up disappointed. We will always be longing for what they can't give us. No matter what we put our hopes in in the morning, it will always be Leah. Never Rachel. Again, not to say that love is not important, but love alone cannot heal us. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, wrote, Most people, if they have really learned to look at their own hearts, would know that they want something that cannot be had in this world. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love are longings which no marriage can satisfy. And I'm not speaking of of what would be ordinarily called unsuccessful marriages. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. Something has evaded us. When we realize this, uh, Tim Keller says we kind of have four options. One, you you can blame the things that are disappointing. You can blame your husband or or your wife. And and you can try to move on to, to better ones. But that's just continuing this trend of idolatry. Number two, you can blame yourself and view yourself as a failure and head into despair and depression. Three, you can blame the world, making yourself cynical and empty. Or four, you can reorient the focus of your life, which is what we see Leah do at the end. She turns her attention elsewhere. After she gives birth to her last son, what does she say? This time, I will praise the Lord. She she finally takes the burdens of her deepest longings off of her husband and places them on God, the one who could carry them. And look what he did for her. This child was named Judah. It's from Judah's line that the promised Messiah would come. God looked at the woman that nobody wanted and made her the ancestral mother of Jesus. Not through beautiful Rachel, but through Leah, the unloved. God saw that Leah wasn't loved and he said, I love you. I'm the real bridegroom. I'm the husband of the husbandless. I'm the father of the fatherless. 
God is not just a God of the overachievers and, and the morally great. He's the God who came into this world to accomplish salvation and give us a grace that we can never attain by ourselves. He loves the unwanted, the weak, and the unloved. He's not just a king and, and we're his subjects. He's not just a shepherd and, and we're his sheep. He is the husband, and we, the church, are the bride. And if you're married, know that this is not a call to love your spouse less. Rather, it's a call to love and know God more. Because Jesus was truly the son of Leah. He, he became the man that nobody wanted. The man that everyone would eventually abandon. And he became this for you and for me. So that we can know the freedom of forgiveness and grace. If we are deeply moved by his love for us, we can detach our hearts from other saviors, from our false gods, even the false god of love. We can stop trying to find our worth in, in our relationships because Christ has already shown us our worth on the cross. We can stop trying to make other people our saviors because we already have one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the work of your Son to, to save us, to provide us with, with the worth and, and the uh, affirmation that we so longingly desire. Lord, help us remember that. As we go about our weeks, as we go about our lives outside of these doors, help us remember that you love us even in the midst of the times that, that we feel most unlovable. Lord, help us cling to that. Help us know you and love you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we close our service, we're going to do sing to